Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well, the show that we talk about all things well-being with a little bit of science. So today I'm here with Carolyn Donnelly and I'm very excited to talk to Carolyn about what makes stress and burnout at work different. And the reason why we're talking to her about it is because she is the CEO and founder of Carolyn Donnelly Consulting, a premier burnout prevention organization focused on reducing workplace related burnout through leadership coaching, training and organizational consulting. So a lot of the cool stuff. And um, I will also throw this over to Caroline to talk a, a little bit more about herself. But uh, this topic is actually quite close to my heart right now. It's actually something I'm going through at the moment as we speak, still recovering from a burnout. And um, I feel like this will sort of be my personal coaching slash therapy session. Uh, but to our listeners, I feel um, I hope that you're going to get a lot of wonderful insights out of it. So, Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. And to our listeners, I would love to get you to introduce a bit more about yourself, your journey, why you got here in the first place. So we get to know more about yourself and especially your professional journey. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for having me. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, I came to burnout having been a person who burnt out and burnt out a couple of times in my career. Um, and so therefore, um, one of the things that I thought was really important and, some, and, and something that I didn't see very often was specifically work around how leaders dealt with burnout. Um, I didn't think that uh, as I went through my burnout journey, I didn't encounter any leaders that actually knew how to actually have any conversations about burnout. And I found that to be kind of distressing because I was thinking, wow, uh, if if employees are dealing with this, if leaders are dealing with this and nobody knows how to talk about it, then that makes it really, really bad. Uh, and so therefore, um, my training is... Um, is in coaching, as as you mentioned. Um, and one of the things that I did uh, prior to uh, actually creating my organization was I actually was the head of coaching for um, the Internal Revenue Service for those who are in the States. Um, <laughs> it is a federal government agency kind of in charge of all, all things taxation for the entire U.S. government. So I was in charge of um, leadership coaching for that organization and uh, saw a number of leaders burning out, especially uh, 2020, 2021, you know, after that um, and wanted to do something about it. And so therefore, I, I decided that this was the way that, that I was going to help with the, the challenge that I was seeing. That sounds like a like an up and down, full of it sort of journey. You know, like you just you've been through everything, and you know you moved from a place in your career where you really needed what you're working on. 
So um, I think you're the best person to talk to about this because you have the experience and now you have the expertise. Um, I'm going to pick your brain on a lot of the things that I've been, you know, I've been through personally. And I feel like a lot of people might relate to this, Um, especially, you know, after uh, two years of working remotely in the pandemic. And then, you know, like the after effect of that, it's just a lot of stuff happening and, um, I actually talked to a bunch of friends about this topic as well. And I feel like so many of us are going through it or yeah. just went through it recently. Um, and, and the coping skills that we needed, we probably didn't have. So yeah. this is going yeah. to be fun. Uh, yeah. And, and it's really interesting that um, that you're kind of bringing that piece to the table, because I think that one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of people like we didn't really take any time to actually process what happened. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of, you know, ran full force into the into the next. And so the work that I do is specifically related to the work related pieces of burnout, um, because I don't think that I don't think that um, I don't think that organizations specifically have uh, have done enough on that front. Yeah, definitely. And we'll touch on that a bit more um, in our interview uh, questions today because we've prepared some questions. I have some ideas as well. I'm sure I'm going to, you know, something will come up. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But first of all, we would love to get to know more about you and get some of your recommendations or just, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear these words. So are you ready? It's called Have yeah. You Met Carolyn? Okay, let's do it. Uh, so we already touched on books briefly, but I wonder which book you would recommend us today. So many good ones. Um, yeah. So two, right? So uh, the first one is uh, this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's by um, a gentleman named by the name of uh, John Mark Homer. Uh, And I love, love, love that book because I think that um, it has transformed my thinking about about rest Mm -hmm. and transformed my thinking about what what my yes will be, yeah. um, uh, and all of those things. So that's one. And then the other one I think is, um, this book called chatter, uh, mm. by Ethan cross. It's so good because it really talks about, uh, the conversations that we're having with ourselves, yeah. uh, and how it is that we can actually use those conversations, uh, for good, as opposed to just letting them kind of happen and, um, and not realizing that we can actually, uh, use them to be able to propel us forward to, you know, accomplishing our goals and doing some different things. Uh, so that's one of the ones that I would highly, highly recommend because I think, uh, the way we talk to ourselves and the way we think uh, really impacts burnout. And so therefore, I think it's it's an important, important mm. thing. That's so interesting. And also, I look at your bookshelves behind you and I'm like, how can you pick a book? It's going to be so hard because I'm sure you've come across so many good reads, uh, yeah. stories of our lives. But I totally agree with that. I'm going to put those two books on my list. They sound super interesting. Um, the One of the books that I'm reading right now by Mel Robbins is kind of similar. And like, that's like the reason I like, got really excited yesterday like, evening. I was just almost done with the book and it, it talked about the same thing. Um, and there's like this concept called RAS. I forgot what it stands for. But basically, you know, you just start to notice um, the things that you talk about the most. So if you're having a lot of negative self-talk, you're going to just notice all the negative things about yourself and vice versa. So we just Mm -hmm. need to really rewire our brain to talk about 
the really positive things. And then the fun stuff that she recommended is to high five yourself in the mirror every morning, which I'm still like, I still find it a bit cheesy. I haven't started doing that, but (laughs) it's really interesting. I'm going to have to try it. Um, Yeah, yeah, because it's it's hard doing things like that, right? It sounds so simple, but when it comes to practice, it's kind of like, okay, I don't know about that. Um, So that's that's the fun thing about reading. Um, Thank you for sharing two books, not just one. So, you know, we're going to put them on our list of recommendations. What about a movie that you would recommend or you would really love to talk about today? Yeah. So it's so, it's so interesting because I, I tried to, I tried to, I'm like, what movie? Um, and the one I think that really spoke to me was um, Black Panther, the original. Um, and I think that that one um, specifically spoke to me just because of the fact that it just showed um, so much innovation and so much um uh, so much pride. Um, and, uh, and I just, I just, I don't know. I just loved, I loved that movie. So I thought it was amazing. So that's what I recommend. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that I'm a huge Marvel fan. So love Marvel. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I feel like this is the first time someone has brought up a Marvel movie or something. So yeah, yeah, I'm very happy to hear. Uh, but yeah, I, I do agree. I think it's, it brought something else to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it it has a lot of representation, you know, new things that we can learn about, especially like the culture part of it. Yeah. Even though, you know, like it's a made-believe world, I know, but still like there are still little things you can pick up here and there um, yeah. that you learn. So yeah, I really love that one as well. And um, well, we, we probably have watched the the recent ones most of our listeners as well Wakanda Forever Uh, my friend and I got really uh, sad about it because we were kind of like well it didn't really make sense but you know in the sense of like what actually happened in real life with Chadwick well it just it made sense so Yeah. um yeah I think it's like it's you mentioned the first one, but I think the second one also had a lot of meaning. So thought I'd just mention that. And maybe somebody else who's also a Marvel fan might be raving with us right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the fun part about talking about movies. Anyways, I can talk about this all day, but let's move <laughs> on to the next one, which is a must ask on our show. What would be a podcast you would recommend to our listeners? So, uh, and I think probably everybody and their brother is listening to this, but maybe they're not. Hidden Brain. Ah, I've heard about that before. I just haven't listened to it. It's so, so good. I I love it because of the fact that it takes into consideration like a, a number of different things. So, you know, a most recent um, uh, episode was on happiness and some of the research that's associated with that. Um, it um, the, the book Chatter, actually, um, I got it as a recommendation from from that, um, that oh. podcast just because of the fact that it was it was really kind of unpacking. I, I love the research-based approach to different things. And it really does a a great job of incorporating both research and then the lived experience of the the folks that they're interviewing Mm -hmm. and how that lived experience kind of um, either uh, contributes to the research or is informing, you know, their thinking and all of that. And so I just, I love it. Oh, that sounds like a really convincing one. I, I just, I tell everyone this recently. Because I've been doing podcasts, I actually don't listen to podcasts anymore because we have a lot of shows that we're producing and I just like to, you know, every now and again, spend time listening to my colleagues' episodes and and other shows. But that is a good one. 
You've convinced me. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to listen to it after work yeah. today. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. And we also love research here at LMSL as well. You know, we we like talking about research, talking about new things that emerge. So we can definitely learn of at least a thing or two from the podcast. So thank you. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. This one is my um, my most favorite one to ask um, because I think it's very inspirational and it varies from person to person. Yeah. Who is your famous role model, or if not famous, then your personal role model? Yeah. So I have I um so if I were if I were to pick a famous role model and um and this might sound cheesy or whatever uh I am a humongous fan of Jesus Christ and again people might be like what <laughs> um but I think that he stood for so many amazing things and um the care and compassion with which he took care of people who wouldn't have been the people that um, other people would have uh, thought highly of or cared for. I think that there's something to be said about that in our world and just creating this like community of people that he did life with. Yeah. Something about that is just so appealing to me. And, um, and so therefore that, that's the, that's the like famous role model that I would, I would pick. And then I would say for personal, it would be my dad because um, I'm originally from Jamaica and I know that you can tell by my accent or lack thereof. Um, um, but I'm originally from Jamaica and, and my dad is like, um, I mean, we, we, uh, experienced so much hardship, um, and just kind of seeing how my, my parents really, both of them, uh, kind of navigated those waters and just kept going. I just, um, I just have so much respect, uh, mm. for, for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I don't think it's cheesy at all because, you know, your personal role model or your famous role model would be would be yours and they shape your journey. So, you know, whoever they are and how however we can relate with them, they still yeah. matter to you. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, and um you know, speaking of, uh, I think when you mentioned Jesus Christ, a lot of people might go, oh, is this show religious? Well, disclaimer, we respect everything. So yeah, in case you're worried, not to worry. We respect yeah. all perspectives and viewpoints and religions, um, regardless of where we come from and our backgrounds. I'm atheist, for example, but I respect that. I really love hearing you talking about it because there's a lot of passion that goes into sharing such stories. So thank you for that. And the last one that we would love to get from you, a recommendation or just something that you would like to share is a course you have completed. So, um, so it's really interesting. And again, this seems, this is kind of left field perhaps, but, um, yeah. A creative bug. Um, um, they have these like jewelry making <laughs> oh. courses, and I know that I know that That's most so people fun. would be like, "Well, why is she talking about a um, you know um, some type of like leadership course or something like that?" And I think that there's something to be said about being able to develop multiple parts of our brains mm. in order for us to be able to make space for the creative and innovative that we need to be able to um, bring to the work that we do. Yeah. And so um, many of the courses and things that I do really kind of, um, that some of them kind of um, um, 
the ones that are the most stimulating are the ones that are those creative ones. But I feel like they then give me all of the juice that I need in order for me to be able to do research and, you know, leadership development things and all kinds of stuff. So that's the one that I think. Yeah, that sounds really fun, actually. What kind of jewelries have you made? I'm very curious now. So um, uh, like bracelets, like the ones with the beads and things like that. So it's primarily that. And then I do a lot of sewing and all things like that. That sounds so fun. Oh, I used to be really crafty growing up and I actually made a lot of bracelets and uh, like just like random things like crafty stuff you know gift boxes cards I found that to be so fun I haven't done that in so long but now now that you remind me and also you sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier the power of play I feel like that's kind of like my kind of play that I haven't done in a really long time so that's something to think about today and just you know do something differently because I'm actually in a phase of digital detox like I'm just not Mm. you know like I'm just not using my devices as much anymore and I'm like reading more Um, just getting back to my routine. So I feel like this is a really nice thing to put on my list just to try and do something different, like making jewelry or if not, just like make something crafty by hand. That'll be really fun. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Cool. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing a little more about yourself, things that you enjoy. And uh, we now have got to know you a bit better with that, let's go into today's topic and talk about all things well-being and especially uh, stress and burnout. Uh, yeah. th- th- I've been itching to talk to you about this. So let's talk about it. First of all, we always ask our guests because this show is about well-being. It's important for us to go broad and have a definition for ourselves. Um, disclaimer, each guest is going to have a very different definition. And I don't think any of the definition would be wrong because it could be your personal definition. So what would be your personal definition of well-being, Carolyn? Yeah, I, I think that well-being is a holistic approach to um, to how we are kind of viewing ourselves and our lives. And I think it needs to take into consideration like a couple of aspects. And um, so like spiritual dimension and how you find purpose and meaning in, in life. I think emotional um, uh, components uh, is a really important uh, one obviously uh, physical component around like you know how are you doing how are you doing physically um, and then I think intellectual and then uh, I'm bringing in that connectedness and that social aspect because I think that oftentimes you know we um, we think of well-being as just ourselves but I think if we are not connected to others in really meaningful uh, ways then I don't know that we can actually be well. And so therefore, I think all of those things um, really factor uh, into um, how I would define well-being. Yeah, I, uh, thank you for that definition. I think it um, it is similar to some of the definitions that we have heard before, um, but it also brought out something new to me, um, which is, I, I think this is just something, my own conclusion that I draw, I draw from what you just said, is sometimes we forget about one or two aspects And, and, you know, we just think, yeah, like if I have my physical health, that's all that matters, but actually, you know, maybe not, maybe you need a little bit more than that. And, and I do think it matters because, um, like, I think mental health is something that it's hard to talk about, but it's so important to talk about. So I talk about it all the time and really try to be honest about it, that I struggle with it. Like, you know, there would be a really good period and then it will be, there will be up and ups and downs. And, um, 
I'm still learning to manage it. It's such a big component of well-being, right? And and like you said earlier, there's so much more to it as well. When you have taken care of these two aspects, you look at another aspect and you're like, actually, now I need to work on that for my well-being. So, yeah, I really like the holistic approach to it. And um, we we need to bear in mind at all times. Um one of the things that I also notice is this is just my personal observation, right? We can we tend to forget about one or two aspects, but I feel like uh, a lot of people might approach well-being in the wrong way. Um, it could stem from anything. It could be because of your cultural background, because of you know your um, circles, because of your uh, let's just say culture and surroundings. Could be anything. So, what do we? What do you think to be some of some of the misconceptions about well-being that needs to be addressed and really talked about? Yeah, I, I think I think that it is that every single aspect needs to be uh, going well in order for you to be well. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I've I've experienced times in my life when you know um, just because of life circumstances, uh, certain parts of like. Um, uh, my, like, say, for example, intellectual well-being, um, uh, you know, in, in me thinking about that, it yeah. might not have been, you know, uh, tens or, you know, on, you know, shooting on all, all cylinders because the fact that I needed to take care of something else. And so I think looking at it not as a, you know, um, a thing for which everything needs to be, you know, at, you know, at, at peak performance in order for you to be well. Um, I think instead we need to be able to have some balance and just being able to notice when things are kind of out of whack and more attention needs to be paid in one area or another. I think that's really uh, more doable and mm -hmm. leaves us in, in a place where we're not, you know, constantly stressing and constantly feeling like, oh my goodness, I need to need to make sure that all these balls are in the air and, and just make it make it all work. And it's just mm -hmm. like, no, what needs to happen is you need to have a, a um, some compassion for yourself yeah. and recognize that not everything is gonna <clears throat> it's gonna be it's gonna be all firing and all all cylinders every you know at every stage of your life and and be okay with that. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think that's, uh, it's related to the previous point, right? Because we, we talked about holistic well-being, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that everything needs to be well for you ha to, to have well-being. And some of our guests have addressed this before, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if something is not going as well as you wanted it to be, as long as you're working on it and you acknowledge that it's there, um, because your well-being is so much more than just one thing. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the need to work on different aspects of your well-being is something that we tend to not address because we want to maybe run away from the problem or we just don't have the tools and the knowledge. So, you know, in, in this case, we're going to talk about today's topic. We're talking about work. You know, work is such a big part of our lives. And actually, I think when I when I when I look at work, it's not just the nine to five work um, or, you know, like the, the job that you do to get paid. Students do work too, you know, like it, that can be called work, whatever you want to call it, studies or work. I think that's also important because um, I do notice that there there's a lot of pressure on, on students. And, you know, when I look back on my journey previously, I definitely also went through burnout when I was at uni uh, and, you know, even when in, when in high school, maybe I just didn't know about it because 
it, it wasn't a thing and it probably wasn't recognized. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, like, that's just my personal observation. I'm like, this is a, probably a small part of it that people tend to ignore, but we're talking about work-related stress management and all the stress and the burnout that is related to our work. Um, how would you, first of all, define that work-related stress? Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that I just want to say just up, up front, right, stress is not bad in and of itself, right? Because we recognize that um, we recognize that there will be times in our lives when uh, when we will um, be, you know, going for a certain goal or, you know, trying to uh, achieve a certain deadline or whatever, and we'll feel a sense of stress, right? And that stress will perhaps propel us forward to meet that deadline, meet that goal and things like that. Um, you know, same thing with, you know, um, uh, if we are having like a fitness goal or something like that. And we use that that stress to be able to build those muscles, um, uh, all of those things. So stress in and of itself is not a bad thing. However, stress that is unmanaged and that is happening over a long period of time and that then begins to impact, um, you know, our well-being, right? Where it begins to impact our mental, our physical, emotional uh, health, um, begins to create a situation for which we are feeling like emotionally exhausted. Uh, we are um, feeling cynical and are not able to um, are not able to see the good in the things that we are we are doing. Um, that's kind of when we get to the place where we need to really start stepping back and saying, wow, this is not just stress, but it's been, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's gone into the, the realm of, am I burning out? And we need to begin asking those types of, of questions because of the prolonged nature of it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, uh, you, you're right. It's, I think someone mentioned this before, either on this show or on my other show about happiness, uh, there's a healthy level of stress when it's propelling you to, to move forward and do better. And I think mm -hmm. I read this somewhere in a book as well, because I agree it's not entirely bad when it is actually prompting you to do good work or, you know, striving towards your goal, achieving milestones. All that would be healthy and properly managed. Um, and when when it is, it's a good thing. But when it is not, like you said, it can lead to burnout and can lead to so so many, so many bad things. I can tell you that. Like, it's not just burnout. I think it's like emotional distress. Like it's yeah. the, yeah, like all of, all of these aftermaths. Um, and we, we can talk about that in a little bit in more detail, because I do want to also ask you, we talked about the healthy part of it. We talked about what it could do to us if we, if it's not managed, but we just talked about our well-being, right? So now let's really break it down. You mentioned the holistic view on well-being of, you know, physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that stress is now not managed. It's getting out of hand. How would those three aspects be affected? Yeah. And, and again, depending on... Um, depending on what stage you are in uh, with regards to burnout, because I think one of the misconceptions even about burnout is that um, it's kind of, it's, it's, um, it doesn't have stages. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to kind of come to a realization that it's almost like, I always say it's a, it's almost like a, um, a slow walk in. 
right? Mm. Because we kind of don't recognize that this is happening. Yeah. And then we get further and further along um, and then it gets really, really bad. But to your point, um, things like, you know, um, uh, in the very beginning, it might be, you know, trouble concentrating and being able to like focus Um uh, and it might then uh, kind of um, uh, continue to um, to escalate. You're uh, having trouble sleeping. So insomnia begins to happen. You're feeling really anxious. Um, there are the Sunday night scaries, right, as I would call them, um, or as many people would call them, right, um, that then go from just the Sunday night scaries to Monday through Friday scaries, uh, where literally you are... Um, you are dreading going to work every single day. Uh, it's not just that you're dreading a certain aspect of your of your job, right? But you're dreading the entire thing, um, and uh, that then begins to have you know um, all kinds of all kind kinds of uh, of impacts. Um, people have irritable bowel syndrome. Um, all kinds of things begin to happen inside of their bodies that begin to tell them that something is not working, and we really need to be begin paying attention. Um, and so therefore, that's kind of one of one of those things. And then I think that um, mentally, what begins to happen in addition to the anxiety piece is that um, we kind of begin getting on this treadmill us, with with regards to work and our thought process about it. Um, that piece about not being able to like turn it off. It's just like, it's constant. Um, and I think in addition to that constant churn, the not being able to turn it off begins to frustrate people and they begin to get really cynical about their work and begin to just um, talk about, you know, how bad and awful things are and, you know, how um, that the hopelessness begins to, to start seeping in as well. So mm. you can begin to see that all of these different parts and pieces begin to, mm. to, uh, to be, be impacted. Yeah. That is so interesting. It seems like there's a whole journey map to it. And when you talk about that, I was just reflecting on my burnout. I was like, okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> it was yeah. bad, but it was not that bad. It was not hopeless towards uh, like to to that stage. But I have witnessed my friend um, go through that stage, and I I totally agree with you. I I looked at it firsthand. I was like, this is not my friend. Yeah. This is not how she normally is. But yeah, like every single sentence that comes out, it's just like, I'm done. I'm yeah. going to get fired. I'm doing a bad job. Like, I just cannot yeah. handle this, cannot deal with this anymore. Um, yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah, you're actually pointing out a, a particular, an additional particular piece that I think is really worth mentioning. Um, it's not just the cynicism, but it's also getting to this place of you begin to question your, um, like, how, how, if you are even good at what it is that you do. And you might be a rock star, but the reality is, is that because of the, the way that things are kind of um, shaping up and happening, uh, you just begin to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not very good at, at what it is that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is dangerous, I think, because um, the, I, I agree with you. When I look at my friend's case, I, I totally think that she's really good at her jobs in general. And then that was a new job that she was dealing with. And I was kind of like, okay, maybe it's just about the job. Maybe you're just not getting enough support or maybe it's like the, you know, the aftermath of the previous burnout and you're still recovering from it. So now you need more time. 
and maybe have a conversation with your direct manager. But, you know, like all of these solutions just did not work because she was probably at the end of it, like just really needed to take a long break, which she has been doing. And I'm very happy to report that she's feeling much better. But at that point, I feel like uh, I just did not recognize my friend anymore because I didn't realize how severe this was. Yeah. And this is actually a case of stress, um, work-related stress leading to burnout that was not managed because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it went from one job to the next and to the point that it just got them to be doubting themselves, the cynicism yep. that you mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah, speaking of like, uh, speaking of that doubt, I don't know if this is like me feeling it, but sometimes I doubt my ability to because part of it is I'm still recovering from burnout, but part of it is maybe not burnout, but maybe imposter syndrome. So there might be a fine line between the two. And I think it depends on your own analysis or maybe talk to a professional about it because it could be a combination, you know, like sometimes like, I'm, am I thinking this because I'm really burnt out? Or am I thinking this because I think I'm an, I'm an, an imposter? I don't know. So yeah, I, there's I that piece. It could almost be um, feeding on each other and and be a, a cyclical kind of thing that begins to happen. Um, and so I, I I appreciate so much what you are pointing to, even with regards to a couple of things. One is this piece around um, people don't people often associate burnout with oh it's this job. If I could just get another one, then I think I would be okay. And you actually said it so beautifully. Um, around the fact that no, it can actually jump from job. You can you can go from one job that you hate and you think, oh, if I just leave this and go to something else, then I'll be fine and I won't be as burnt out. And it can go right with you to the next job if you are not diligent about really taking care of what it is that you need to do in order for you to be be able to um, uh, to, to navigate burnout. I say that. Um, but also recognize that there are some things that are, are inherent um, in certain workplace cultures that create burnout. So it is both, it's a, it's a both and with you both taking care of what you know you need to and also recognizing that the workplace culture also needs to be uh, conducive uh, to making sure that folks don't burn out as well. Hmm. Yeah, and and I noticed that in the in the upcoming questions, we're going to really dive deeper into this topic. But uh, the most important one that you you just sort of touched on would be the organizational culture, the different factors, and I I also mentioned earlier that you know it could be because of the job itself. It could be because of a change of environment. It could be because of the added stress. Um, but I do notice that when whenever it comes to stress at work or burnout, I, I sort of notice that it could either be because you're not enjoying the role in itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a mismatch for you. It could be the culture. You know, yeah. let's say the role is great, it's perfect for you, but it could be the culture of the company. Or in some cases, I've noticed that my friend's, some of them really enjoy the work that they're doing, but they're suffering because of their direct manager. Yes. So the leadership at companies, at organizations also, it's also very important. So those would be some of the things that I personally noticed to be the source of occupational stress. 
But, you know, you've worked with so many people. I wonder what else you could add to this list because I feel like yeah. the list is long. Could be could be anything. Yeah, so um, the research actually points to, so Christina Mashlock um, is the premier burnout researcher um, and um, and she points to six work-related factors uh, that um, are at the heart of burnout and they are workload, right? And so, you know, we, we recognize that, right? Um, so it's workload, um, it's being able to, um, to uh, uh, actually having a, um, a mismatch between your personal values and the values of the organization. Um, it might be um, also fairness issues. Uh, and when I talk about fairness issues, it could be, uh, yes, things like um, you feeling like you are not being, uh, you're being passed up for promotions and things of that nature. Uh, but it also could be things like microaggressions that are happening in the workplace that are making it feel like you are perhaps not being treated fairly. Uh, and, and so those types of things might be uh, adding to a sense of uh, feeling burnt out. In addition, it's also a perceived lack of control. Right. Um, uh, kind of related to some of what you said around um, that job crafting. Right. Um, sometimes people feel like they don't have enough autonomy to be yeah. able to do what it is that they that they know that they can do and that they can contribute to the organization. But they're being either micromanaged or um, or just not being given the opportunity to be able to do um, um to, to have some control over what it is that they contribute and how it is that they contribute to the work. And then the last two things are rewards, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when we talk about rewards, it might or might not be monetary type of rewards. It might be just being recognized for the work that you're doing. Um, and, and I think that sometimes people take that for granted, but it, it's huge. Um, and then in addition, uh, community, right? Mm. Uh, um, being able to know that you have others who you can rely on and who can rely on you, you know, having just having camaraderie uh, in the workplace, because we recognize that, uh, you know, loneliness is at an all time high. And that one of the places where uh, we can do something about that is is in the workplace. Hmm. Wow, that is so interesting. So yeah, like I did mention a few things and then it's it sounds like it's some of them match the list that you just shared of the six yeah. things. But yeah, I think the the thing that stood out to me the most is probably the fairness part because this is it could be subjective. And and I think like the the role of the leaders in the organization would be very important. But at the yeah. same time, everyone could contribute to this as well, right? Because if we're talking about fairness, it's also about pointing out when things go wrong, pointing out when yeah. you notice that something is affecting somebody's um, well-being at work, because it's not about, it's just, it's not about just yourself. It's about yeah. other people that you're collaborating with too. And, um, it might be tricky because, you know, the, the workload, you might have a number to show. Yeah. But fairness, that that yeah. might be a bit harder to kind of get around to. So I wonder yeah. what, what would your thoughts be on this? Because it's a I think it's a two way street. First of all, there's the role of the organization. And then second of all, there would be the role of the employees, the colleagues, anyone who's involved. So what should yeah. we all do as a collective and where should we start? 
So I think it really starts to your point um, in, a, in the conversations that we are having. I think that um, the a lot of the onus needs to be on the leaders and organizations being able to recognize signs of burnout and being able to have some active conversations with their employees around how are they doing? What are their thoughts? You know, um, how are they feeling about, you know, uh, about their work? What might be some pebbles in their shoes? Uh, uh, things of that, of that nature, I think, are, are really valuable Depending on the organization and depending on the amount of trust and psychological safety that is in inside of that organization and inside of that relationship, um, it will depend on how much that will tell you kind of how much information that you are, are going to get. Uh, I think that uh, if there is low psychological safety and low trust, then obviously uh, an employee who might feel slighted somehow uh, about an opportunity that was um, that came up and they didn't get, they might not say anything. Um, if it's a higher psychological safety and trust, they might say, you know, I was really hoping that I would have gotten X, Y, and Z thing, mm. and I don't understand how I how like how I missed that or why that opportunity wasn't something that I received. Yeah. And I think that that then allows, um, I think, a person who's in that position, uh, as opposed to blaming and assuming that um, it is a fairness issue, I would say assume positive intent until you have enough information that tells you that it's not and lead with a question and be able to, to say, I noticed that um, this position uh, became available. I thought that I had this, 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 and this that would have qualified me for it. Mm. And I wasn't qualified for it. Mm. And so therefore, can you help me to understand what it is that I either need to do differently or need to do more of or whatever in order mm. for me to be prepared next time? Or, um, you know, what do you see as the, the missing link for me. Um, so I would first say assume positive intent and lead with that type of conversation if it's you as the employee. Um, and so that's kind of one of the ways that I would say that you would um, you would begin addressing that. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I think um, depending on the, how the conversation is going to go, you're going to know if you yeah. are the employee bringing this up, you're going to know as well. Because I think a lot of the time it's kind of like a a fine line. You're like, yeah, I think they're good. I think they yeah. can be trusted. I, I'm I'm going to share this with with them, and then sometimes it blows up into your face, right? Because mm -hmm. you know the the psychological safety might not actually be there, even though the organizational culture might create that illusion that is there. Yeah. So once I you've agree. had that conversation, you can really figure out and have an answer to yourself whether you want to stick around. Uh, but yeah. I think uh, to look at the other end of the picture, you know, the, on the other end, we have the organization. So yeah. we're, we're talking about a wide range of things, not just psychological safety, because, yeah. you know, again, this is about well-being, stress and burnout. It's very common. And there's not one, not two, but just six cause, causes of it. So how should organization, you know, go about approaching this? Because there needs to be, I, I would say there needs to be some resources that all organization should have. Yeah. There needs to be some best practices that all organizations should 
adopt as well, perhaps in this scenario to really promote well-being at work and um, help people to manage the stress better because the stress yeah. is always going to be there. You know, it, I don't think there's such a job where there's no stress. I agree. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, allowing people to have the resources and the space, the time as well to manage their stress properly so yeah. that they can actually, you know, have that resilience and um, to really go through the process and do what they can. Yeah. So, yeah. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? So um, I think the, the first thing that I would say is recognize that um, this conversation about burnout and well-being goes beyond an employee assistance kind of um, a recommendation, uh, because I think too often organizations kind of, you know, that is the the go to, oh, you need to go and see somebody with, you know, the employee assistance uh, program uh, in order for you to kind of deal with that. Um, and then it, it's kind of then, then once you've done that and you're good, then you can come on back and continue to do the work. And the reality is that Yes, employee assistants make the recommendation perfect. And there needs to be a conversation in the organization about the, those work-related factors that are causing the burnout. If the workload is a challenge, mm -hmm. if there is a perceived lack of control or autonomy with the things that actually impact the person's work, that then helps them to eliminate the actual sources of the burnout and the and the stress as opposed to we're going to send you over here so you can talk to somebody and then when you come back to the exact same environment that burnt you out then you'll be all right. I say we we work on the environment and and the way that I think that 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 needs to happen is I think that we need to first equip the actual leaders with the tools to be able to understand what burnout looks like and how um, how it shows up in organizations, be able to understand even these six factors and what they specifically can do about it. Um, and I think that that is, uh, uh, that is one of the, the biggest and most important uh, uh, things that, that folks can do is be able to feel empowered to do something about this, as opposed to kind of feeling like, well, you know, it just is what it is. You know, if you, if you, if you, work here or um, if you're in this industry, then just expect that you're going to burn out. I don't know that that makes any sense to me. And so therefore, why can't we be more proactive in being able to, to equip leaders to be able to have a better conversations so that um, you know, the turnover rate and, um, you know, absenteeism and all of these things that get impacted by burnout, that those things are not you know, uh, what, 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 what happens to your organization. So yeah. as you can hear, I'm kind of passionate about this. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love hearing it because, uh, yeah, like it's, it's sort of my role when I'm off camera as well is to, is to build all of this. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate any insights that you might have because sometimes I feel like I'm providing my team with the support they need, but maybe I'm not doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, like really providing that sort of like the feedback loop would be yes. helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think that the good thing is I do know that there's a certain level of, let's just say safety that, that my team feels in talking to me, for example. And I feel like that is a good indicator. Okay. We're doing something right, yes. but it doesn't mean that everything is right. So, yes. you know, I was sort of picking your brain to see what else we could do. 
And I think recognizing this is good. And I, I was like, you know, taking notes of the six factors because I'm like, okay, definitely need to look at this more closely and, and really do something about it. Because we, we did talk about having an EAP um, at yeah. LMSL, but I, I also mentioned to my CEO that I just don't want it to be like a just another EAP. Yeah. Like it needs to yeah. actually do something. And so if we if we build it and when we build it, it's got to be really, first of all, based on research that it works for people. And second of all, we need to have resources to support this as well, not just the label. Because a lot of companies like and the companies I have worked for before, they have EAPs, mm-hmm. but these EAPs didn't do anything for me when I was burned out. Nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's very yeah. important to actually make it work. So yeah. I'm talking from both perspectives. Yeah. And I, and I honestly think that that um, one of the things that leaders often neglect and, or, or, or don't do as much of is this empowering conversations that I'm talking about. And by that, I, I mean that, you know, what would it be like if we actually had conversations with employees where we um, where we ask them more open ended questions in order to help them um, or give them the space to be able to identify uh, the challenge areas, the places where they they are having difficulties. But then more than that, to be able to um, begin talking through ideas of what it is that they would want differently in order for them to be able to to kind of get get um, um, uh, 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 something that's closer to uh, what would actually work better for them. You want to know uh, whether or not they are having challenges with a, a certain other team that they've been trying to work with and, and um, you know, not making any headway. You want to know, like, what it is that they have done so far and what it is that they, they would want to do that they haven't done so that then you are involving them in um, the thought process around what could be done about the situations that they are, are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the very last thing is being able and willing to step in in those places where you need to step in as a leader in order to actually impact change for them, because you know that that, you know, they've done all that they can and they can't go any further. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it's um, it's a tricky, I think it's like a tricky balance of, you know, doing what you think it's right and figuring out along the way if something needs to be done differently. Because, yeah, yeah I, I think it's, it's like a very one-sided thing and the dynamic of, you know, having um, a leadership position, having a team to take care of, it's kind of like something that I constantly struggle with because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think on the one hand, I think I'm doing something right for the team. I think this is going to help them. But on the other hand, they might be wanting something else and they're just not saying that out loud because yeah. sometimes they don't know even yeah. in themselves. They probably don't know what they need yet. Um, yeah. And other times they might think that, oh yeah, even if I say it's not going to change anything. So mm-hmm. I think now it's just, you just really br- brought me back to thinking about how to really curate that culture of safety, you know, psychological safety, because yeah, we really want people to feel grounded for them to be able to do their job and just focus on what they do best rather Mm -hmm. than having to worry about little things every single day, which actually will cause stress. Right. And then eventually burn out. So it's like a vicious cycle in a way Mm -hmm. I can imagining it. it. Yeah. I can. Yeah. 
I would also say, you know, it could be something even as simple as being able to have some stop, stop, start, continue kind of conversations with folks um, and, and just being able to do something, something like that after action reviews, you know, all of those things would be things that would, uh, would um, make, make deliberate space in mm. order for those conversations to come up and make it so that it's a regular part of just the way that you all do business so that you're constantly hearing hearing from them and also giving feedback. So uh, that's it's a both and and not just a one-sided thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very important. Uh, we had prepared some other questions, but I think since we're going in this direction, I'm just going to, I might just re replace one of those questions and um, ask you about the employees, because we've talked a little bit about, you know, the organization, what the leaders should do. But let's say I'm the employee now. I'm yeah. dealing with stress, right? And uh, we, we mentioned some signs earlier, but I really want us to go a bit more practical and perhaps we can include this um, in the practice section even. Um, we can officially move to that and talk about ways that we ourselves can work on our well-being and, you know, manage our stress better. Um, and this could this could be anything. You know, it could be how we manage our stress, depending on the where you are in, in the, the journey from, from stress to burnout. How do we manage stress better? How do we recognize when this stress is too much and it's becoming burnout? And finally, when it's already, you know, your burnout's already here, how do you deal with it? So step by step. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that one of the things that is the, the most important or one of the most important things is being able to um, have some self-awareness around what's happening with you. Uh, being able to notice not only what's happening um, uh, inside of your your brain, um, how you're processing information, being able to notice what's happening in your body. Are you um, are you feeling anxious all of the time, or are you feeling more anxious than you were, you know, uh, before? All of those things, and then being able to get super curious about about asking yourself the question, what is it that's making me feel this way. Right. And I think to your point earlier around like being able to stop long enough to sit with the stuff. Um, that's one of those things that we don't, we don't do very, very well. Instead, we want to, you know, Netflix it away. Um, you know what I mean? We, we want to do anything, yeah. anything but sitting with it. Yeah. But the value of being able to ask ourselves those questions is that it begins to give us some insights into what things need to change and be different, what things we need to perhaps have some conversations about in order to see whether or not something is possible, to, to, to see if something is needing to change. And it also allows us to be able to, to start thinking about, okay, so what needs to actually, what are the things that I need to start taking off of my own plate because they're in my control to take off of my plate? And what are some things for which I either need to begin asking for help or begin asking about, you know, having some of these things either, um, you know, taken off, delayed, something to happen with them uh, in order for us to be able to have um, a, a different, different outcome. And so I think 
you know, recognizing it first, um, being able to ask ourselves the questions about what are the pebbles in our shoes, the things that are really causing us to feel this way, um, and having honest conversation about what those things are, and then being able to ask ourselves the questions. And so what do I want to do about it? What's in my control, right? Because some things are not simply not in your control, but what is in my control? And what do I want to do about it? And I feel like kind of from that perspective, um, you can begin the process of kind of, um, I, I call it um, really uh, um, uh, getting some, some um, wise counsel, right? Um, and, and by that, I mean, is it, are there people in your life for which you would be able to um, uh, have come alongside you for which you can have some honest conversations for which you know that they'll give you some wise and sage advice? They won't be the people who are just like, oh, poor you. But instead, they'll be the people who will who will really be like, OK, so let's try to figure this out. What do you know? What kinds of things have you done already? What else do you need to do? How do you want to have that conversations? What kind of things do you want to talk about? They're those kind of people that are thought partners for you. Um, and then being able to kind of from that place, being able to, to have those key conversations and making those key decisions, taking those key actions uh, kind of based on that. So that's kind of the some of the things that I, I would say that um, would be valuable is kind of going from awareness all the way to uh, taking some strategic actions. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good point because I think um, a lot of us just skip that awareness stage because, <laughs> you know, we just, like you said, just Netflix it away. <laughs> we just don't really know what's going on and we just have our coping skills. Like, for example, yeah. feeling anxious. Yep. You might just do nothing and, you know, like yeah. just watch Netflix or uh, for a lot of us, probably uh, be on social media just mm -hmm. to numb it, whatever that yeah. might be. Right? Each person has a very different way of coping, but um, a lot of the times we don't recognize it. So it's good to first of all recognize when um, you're, you're feeling a bit funky, you don't feel like yourself and you start to yeah. do things that are not healthy for you. Um, mm -hmm. And and yeah, and then take actions. But then now let's actually go a bit more practical and give the, our audience something that they can, you know, take and do, maybe try from tomorrow onwards. What would be something, a practice that you re would recommend to them to manage their stress better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. One of the practices that I have been uh, engaging in and it has uh, I think it's been pretty transformational and I've heard from other people that it's been, uh, it's transformational for them as well is, um, the practice of Sabbath. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a spiritual practice. Um, I know in some, some traditions it is, um, but really being able to figure out, uh, how can I take a rest? so that I can uh, begin the process of even being able to create space for that thinking, right? Um, I think that sometimes we are running so fast and fill our lives up with so many things that, um, and again, because of the fact that we don't want to think about, you know, what's happening, that it makes it so that we're constantly on the treadmill and we can't 
we literally can't rest, right? Um, and that's also uh, the reason why when people go on vacation, they can't rest even on vacation, right? And so being able to have a deliberate practice where, you know, every certain number of days, and for me, it's every seven days, um, being able to turn off the phone, <laughs> Um, uh, being able to um, make sure that, you know, everybody in my life kind of knows that, you know, I'm not really reachable. I'll be out, you know, taking a, a, a walk with my with my son around a lake or, you know, we'll be um, doing a puzzle or we'll be, you know, just completely unplugging and making that a deliberate practice that I, I engage in. Um, something about that, I think, begins to slow our brains down and it begins to um, build in this thought process of what it is that we need to be able to say no to um, in order for us to be able to make space for, for this kind of thing. And so that, that saying no piece is going to then translate into and what things in my life do I need to begin saying no to being begin to um, 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 you know, have different kind of conversations about in order for me to be able to to have a different outcome. So that's that's one of the practices that I engage in that I, have been really helpful. Mm. Yeah. And, and you do this on the weekly. So it's not something that it's kind of like a burden in a way, because a lot of people are like, oh, if it's a daily thing, I might not have time for it. But yeah, well, I mean, yeah. you're, you're making it easy for us. It's just, just going to be weekly. Start small. Yeah. Start yeah. small, see, and, where, see how you go. And I love that start small piece, because if like, say, for example, you're not able to dedicate an entire day, could you dedicate a couple of hours in order for you to be able to to just say, you know what, I'm not going to schedule this time don't call me. I'm not reachable. I'm going to be out in nature or I'm going to, you know what I mean? And because I think that oftentimes we just get discouraged if we can't get the, you know, full, full time or whatever, but I say start small and then being able to just kind of work, work our way up to it. And it might feel uncomfortable um, because stopping and resting is something that so many people are just like, well, what, what do I do? And it's just like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> That's the whole point. There's so much anxiety around like, but I won't be productive. I won't be useful. And it's like that whole piece when you said well-being, being is the piece that we need to work on. Yeah. Because we are, we're really good at doing, but we we need to be able to just, just be. And yeah. yeah. So. I think it depends on each person as well, because uh, each person might have a different definition of just be, right? Mm -hmm. Someone might say, you know, I'm going to just unplug from the digital world. I'm going to just go out for a walk. I'm going to go for a swim. I'm going to go to yeah. the beach and just read. It could be anything, right? It, it, it doesn't mean that you're not doing anything. You yeah. can do something that's bringing you joy. And I yeah. think for me, like for such a long time, throughout the last year, I basically, this is going to sound really insane, but I basically worked 10 to 12 hours every day and mm. did not take any breaks for to do anything apart from when my friends dragged me out of the house. So mm. uh, for a very long time, I do not have the concept of just winding down after work and listen to music or watch movies or just like a TV show. 
So recently I've picked that up again and I feel like a human, you know, it's weird. Like this is part of my recovery, but it's weird. Like I just do normal people thing, like human things that everybody else is probably doing, but I feel so great about it. Like I just finished my work. I would make something to myself for myself to eat, sit down and just watch a random TV show that doesn't require me to think. I just zone out to it and I have fun with it, have a laugh. And you know what? It actually helps. So so that's my way of just be. But again, like weekends come and I'll, I'll go out for a long walk. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think, I think that you're right. I think that it does depend on every, every individual. And I, and I think that the gauge that I have been using has been, um, after the activity, do I feel refreshed and renewed or do I feel drained and depleted from it? You know what I mean? Because sometimes we will engage in different activities and, um, it looks like rest, but we end up feeling more depleted than when we started. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, you know, begin, begin using that as your, as your gauge. Yeah, for sure. So I guess one of the challenges when it comes to, to doing this practice would be not knowing what actually works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Besides making the time, it's also not knowing what works for you, which might take a couple of tries, I would say, if you don't, if you don't know how to wind down or if you don't know how to just be, then you probably have to try it each week, try something different until it it works. And like you said, the benefit you you'll see, you know, that it works when you see the benefit of feeling recharged. Yes. Yes. And and I think instead of looking at it, as it, at it as a challenge, it could be that these are these mini experiments for which you are getting to know yourself again. Yeah. Right. Jeez. And you're get, right. Ooh, <laughs> because, that's tough. Of, uh, right. Who am I? But, but <laughs> and I think that that ultimately is going to be such a key and important question for us to be able to answer, because then that informs the what it is that we decide that we're going to do. Um, as we kind of move forward, you know, the, the answering who am I informs and does this job fit with the who, the, the, the who I, you know, with who I am yeah. or does it not fit anymore because yeah. I now know who, who I am. And so I, I just, wow. I, yeah, that's deep. it's so much. Yeah, that's deep. <laughs> A lot of people will start questioning their whole existence now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it affects us so much as work. I mean, affects us so much, like the stress mm-hmm. and the burnout you feel it can seep through any aspect of your life. Because yeah. I, I think we didn't mention this before. And I do want to briefly touch on it is we are, we were talking about the different aspects of well-being, right? And I feel like when I was at my lowest point in the burnout journey, I wasn't able to be a good daughter. I didn't want to talk yeah. to my mom. Yeah. You know, I live in a different country and I don't call my mom very often because I just do not have the energy to talk to her. And I feel like talking to her depletes my energy mm-hmm. because you know, mm-hmm. she will, she'll ask questions about work and I wouldn't want to talk about it at all. Even if the work that I do, I feel is pretty cool and great and mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I still don't want to talk about it because I was so burnt out. So that's yeah. one factor. The other one we. I wasn't a good person for myself because I started to neglect the everyday activity, you know, like adulting, right? Just do the yeah. adulting thing. 
cook and clean and to take care of yourself. And I wasn't even taking care of myself at that point. Yeah. And then wasn't a good friend because, you know, like I probably would zone out in conversation, would complain or would just be really just like agitated. Yeah. And I couldn't manage my energy level, something like that. So I feel like it's, it would go really bad if you don't manage it properly. Yeah. And in this case, I think just doing this practice once a week, like you said, would help us to slowly get back to where we need to be. Like, and, and of course it is, it's one practice, but we need to do other things throughout the week as well. Right. It's, it's yeah. one practice to do more frequently and, and you can clearly see the benefits, but what you do on the daily also matters. Like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, like one of the things that I've noticed is, as well is learn to say no. Yes. You get burnt out and you say yes to everything that happened to yeah. me. I just said yes to all of it. And then I started saying no and it changed my life. Now yeah. I can, you know, now I can watch Netflix after work because <laughs> I started saying no. Um, yeah. I, I can go out with friends after work because I started saying no as well. So, you know, like I, I feel like that is important of a message that I want to share with others. This is, you know, not my research or anything, but it's what I have tried and I have found that it works at least for me. So for some others, maybe they can benefit from saying some saying no to things that they can just put off or want to redirect to other people. Yeah, that saying no is is so um, it's such an important piece. And I think so many people have a challenge with it because of the fact that um, we might be uh, we might be people pleasers. Right. Um, and therefore, it's just like, oh, you know, as long as they're happy, then I'm I'm good, you know, as well. And I think that that's what that's one of the reasons why I think that the practice of Sabbath really begins the process of you being able to say no to yourself. And then from that, being able to work that no out to other people um, in order to be able to make space for the things that you want to do, you have to disappoint and say no to somebody else. And so can you can you begin practicing yeah. uh, that? And, and I think that then it, it ends up, you know, um, being something that you're able to do in other spheres of life. So it's it's um, it's such an important uh, uh, component of building healthy boundaries for yourself so that then you are able uh, to do the things that um, care and nourish for, you, you know, yourself. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Because this is exactly what I've been reading in the book that I just told you about earlier, The High Five Habit mm -hmm. by Mel Robbins. This, yeah, she mentioned that as well. She was, she was saying you could disappoint other people or you could disappoint yourself. Absolutely. What do you want to choose? Right. Yep. And I, I feel like that's so powerful because my whole existence <laughs> has yep. been based on pleasing other people, yep. family, friends, colleagues, everyone. And I felt like for a really long time, I was sort of suffering without knowing that I was. Yeah. Because I wanted to make people happy. Mm -hmm. But that was at the expense of my own mental health and well being. So now we got to flip it. And for everybody else who's, probably going through lots of stress. I'm sure everyone, anyone who is working is feeling some sort of stress. This would really help because yeah. is it, if it's healthy stress that that's propelling you to move forward and achieving something great. But yeah. if, if it's actually leading you to burn out, chances are you yeah. might need to start saying no and just Absolutely. really, you know, like do the, do the weekly 
uh, practice of uh, just recharging and resetting. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. And finally, to convince people, you know, just in case they missed this information, what would be the three benefits that they would feel once they start doing this weekly practice? Oh, that's so good. Um, I think the first one is that they would begin they would begin to know what it is that they need because you're paying attention to, you know, does this feel like rest or does this not, does this feel more like work? You're paying attention to, you're, you're, you're paying attention to yourself and therefore, you know, the, 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 the outshoot or um, the offshoot of that is that then your ability to be self-aware around your own needs and being able to take care of those needs that become, you know, becomes paramount. So I would say that's one. I think the other benefit is the fact that you actually begin to enjoy your vacations and your time off more because of the fact that you've built a practice of enjoying your time away. Yeah. And you then now know what it is that you like, what it is that rest looks like for you. And so therefore you're able to do more of that when you're actually away from the office, as opposed to spending the first, you know, couple of days just trying to like unwind and trying to figure yourself out. Um, I think that that lessens that time for you so that then you're able to do that. And then like we, we mentioned um, already, uh, it, it's, um, it's our ability to be able to practice saying no, um, you know, with ourselves or practice saying no, you know, just, you know, us and then being able to take that practice outward to others. So mm. those are the things. Yeah, I think. absolutely. I feel like when you're a better person for yourself, you'll be a better person for everybody else. And, you know, Agreed. like this affect everything in your well-being because it's, it's you're improving your physical health by recharging. Yeah. You're improving your mental yeah. health by being happier. Um, and you're improving your emotional health by having healthier relationships with others. And yeah. I think that that is something that some we often neglect because we just think, you know what, I just I work on this burnout. So I feel better. But no, not really. Actually, you're not just feeling better. You're going to be a better person for yourself and everybody else. Yeah. And one of the aspects that I didn't mention, but that is like so important to me, um, is this the communal aspect of what it is that we do. Being able to have a, a lovely meal with people who don't drain you, but instead are nourishing and filling. And you know what I mean? Like having, a, having you know, actually actively cultivating um, times of, um, of, you know, community and connection with those people during this time is also a part of this. And I think that it then allows you to then have those people you can rely and depend on uh, to be able to kind of, you know, be your sounding board and, and, you know, I need help with this, that kind of thing. So, mm. so many benefits. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. I mean, if we haven't convinced our audience, I don't know what else we can do because I'm going to start doing this on the weekly now. Um, yeah. I, I actually schedule nothing on Sunday so that I can oh, so good. I can do this. Yeah. So this is this is good, right? Because it, it sort of you just confirmed that I'm on the right track. I, I schedule yeah. nothing this Sunday. Good. I might just go with the flow and, you know, enjoy life. We'll see. Um, okay. So we have some questions from our audience. Um, the, these questions will reflect some things that we haven't covered and 
or if we have covered that briefly, let's go into a bit more detail because I found I found uh, two interesting questions. So the first one is, uh, what are some signs or symptoms that I'm headed towards work burnout and how can be that stopped early on? Hmm. So I would say that um, one of the one of the biggest um, signs or symptoms would be that uh, the treadmilling is what I call it, where it's just like we can't seem to turn work off. Um, uh, that's 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 one of the ones that I, I would say um, uh, that we um, typically see, and that that ex- the exhaustion that you're um, the exhaustion and dreading work. Those are those are the biggest ones that I would say, and I would I would say that you know the the thing that I mentioned before being able to recognize it and be aware beginning to get curious and asking yourself questions about it and then being able to you know devise that action plan or work with someone else who um, is able to help you think it through in in order for you to be able to figure out what it is that you need to do um, and um, and kind of going from there so that's what I would say mm, yeah Definitely. And you, you briefly mentioned that concept before. And I think this time it should sink in. Like we should really notice when it starts to s- snowball. Yeah. But yeah, so important. Um, and the second question, which I find to be probably relevant to a lot of our audience would be, what are the tips to prevent stress or burnout at work, especially for remote workers? Oh, that's good. So one of the things that I would say is we need to start having some expectation setting kind of conversations, um, because I think that it's really an important thing for us to begin talking about, you know, not only the what is it that the that the employer or the boss expects of us, but what it is that we kind of expect from them as well. And what it is that we need in order for us to be able to do our best work. Um, and I think that that's an, an important, um, and, and I think any uh, reasonable uh, leader would be open to having this kind of conversation because they want an employee who is going to be able to put their best foot forward and and be able to contribute, you know, the, the most that they can uh, to the organization. And so having that conversation and being able to talk really frankly around the boundary settings and around, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, um, you know, if, um, if certain uh, uh, work deadlines are, are, are due, you know, can you all um, have a conversation around like, you know, what are the priorities or, um, you know, what kinds of things uh, you might need some additional assistance with something that allows it to feel like a partnership as opposed to kind of a dictatorship. Um, and so therefore, I think setting those ex- expectations kind of upfront is going to be a really important and impactful thing to, to be able to do. Mm, yeah, definitely. And sometimes these conversations might be tough uh, to have because, you know, um, it could mean looking at productivity, it could mean looking at work organization, but super important because if you don't touch on it, you're just going to have to like say yes to all of it, basically. This is the opposite of what we want. So yeah, it's a good start. Thank you. So those are the two questions. Yeah. I would also say that it allows you to be able to have a, a starting point for which you can revisit, mm. right? Because when things are not quite going as as well or, or something, it allows you to be able to come back and say, hey, you know, could we talk about this 
you know, mm-hmm. this aspect that we had uh, touched on before and maybe get a little bit more clarity or something. So it'll be sort of like your own documentation of your progress. And, and if ever you, you get burnt out, you know why. Sort of like mm-hmm. historically, this is what happened. I asked for help, but you didn't give it to me. So that's why I'm burnt out. Or I asked to, you know, reject the priorities, but you didn't. So that's why I'm burnt out. So, yeah, mm-hmm. well, we obviously don't want to get there. But no. at least, you know, if if that unfortunately happens, you have uh, proof, at least, first of all, to yourself as to why this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, if we don't recognize it, nobody else will. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at work when, you know, everything just goes forward daily it's not like anyone's going to stop and evaluate if you're burnt out so you have to first of all take care of yourself and do that mm-hmm. mm. yeah and it, i think that at least if nothing else to your point it allows you to be able to know that you did what you could in order for you to be able to to take care of yourself and if those efforts um if those efforts failed it wasn't because you you didn't do what you could so. yeah absolutely Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights. We're actually now done with all the questions. All the serious part is done. I feel like there's actually more to talk about, to be honest. Like if we were to really talk about stress and burnout at work, it could be, I don't know, like a week-long sort of conversation breakdown in several parts and, you know, have a lot of different things to discuss. But uh, in the interest of time, we already, uh, you know, gained a lot of new insights from you today. And really thank you for that. Before we let you go, I would love to invite you to join our open mic where you can talk about anything you're passionate about. I know you have a very fun topic in mind. So take it away, Carolyn. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to at least bring to the table is um, the concept of play. Right. And as adults, we often forget to actually um, uh, play. We forget that um, we used to uh, do arts and crafts or we used to um, um, uh, paint or, you know, play an instrument or do any number of things that really brought us joy. And we stopped doing that somewhere along the way. And I think that being able to find those places of play allows us to be able to, you know, rejuvenate ourselves, right? It's that 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 fountain of um, renewal that we really constantly need to be tapping back into in order for us to be um, more burnout resistant. So I would say, what's your play? How, mm. how do you want to play? And, um, and, and how can you build curiosity and experimentation in order to be able to figure out what play would look like for you? Oh, wow. What a powerful message. And yeah, I just, I just told uh, Carol on at the beginning of the recording that I just bought a book um, called The Power of Fun by Catherine Price, if I'm not wrong. And uh, the reason for that is because I've noticed as an adult, I don't have enough play and fun, Mm -hmm. whatever that's called. Right. So this is, I think, very important to talk about because we're always serious, like, okay, what are you doing for work? You know, like, how are you working on this goal and that goal? And that's all good and, you know, wonderful. But what else? How how about a little little fun time and play time to recharge? And I feel like playing and having fun would even allow you to have better ideas at work, you know, better ideas at home and, you know, better energy to take care of yourself. So that's, yeah, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. It allows you to be able to, to, um, to work better with others. And so, 
So that's that's the the the, the biggest thing that I would um I would say. The other thing that I would say is that if an organization is interested in working with me to be able to help their leaders um, uh, work on um you know having these burnout conversations, being able to be better equipped to to be able to have more effective conversations with their employees, would love to be able to partner with them to be able to do that. So yeah. Love that. So on that note, how can people find out about your work and get in contact with you if they want to collaborate? Absolutely. So you can actually go to uh, Carolon, C-A-R-O-L-O-N hyphen Donnelly, D-O-N-N-A-L-L-Y uh, dot com in order to be able to uh, get in contact with me. Uh, you can also uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, uh, my name, again, Carolon is really unique. So C-A-R-O-L-O-N and then um, uh, Donnelly. Um, and um, I'd be happy to connect with you on either one of those. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You just wrapped it up really nicely. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun talking to you, even though it's such a hard topic to talk about. Um, so hopefully today we have covered some grounds that allow our audience to have a think about how they're managing their stress whether they're headed towards burnout, you know, what they can do for themselves. And if there are any leaders listening to this conversation, hopefully it will change their perspective on how they can support their employees and their team. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.